Welcome back to another Mark's Madness collaboration. Oh, we're back. We're doing it again. Doing it again. Collaborating again. That was a, a rapid fire dab. <laughs> so many dabs. So you you all can't see this, but I'm gonna do that on Dick Cheney's grave. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna crab rave. Oh yeah, we gotta get you, crab rave. <laughs> you guys are missing Shigmani 2's incredible dabs. I'm so sorry for all of you. Uh, we're gonna giggle like children. Good yep, luck. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but <laughs> while we're giggling like children, we will be jumping directly into our reading this week. This is welcome. Hi, everyone. It's Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Uh, my name is Nathan. Yeah. My name is David. I'm Shigmanitu from the and, Red Nation and Ben the Turtle Island. Exactly, because this is our collaboration season, and we are collaborating on The Red Deal. Now, we had just taken, for those of you that are following along weekly, a three-week detour. For those of you listening in binge form, three hours of your life uh, that just went by in whatever time frame you enjoyed it in uh, was do, uh, was used to go and do some side reading to give some context on particularly what the Pick Sloan Act uh, actually entailed, and that came up because it was in mm-hmm. Pick, Sloan Pick Sloan plan. plan. Yes, plan, act. not act. It encompasses many yes, acts. numerous acts under subsumed under one master plan uh, that we learned was. All right, that's so. That is such a fucked up way to. That is straight up like conspiracy theory shit. Oh, straight up, we're like. We have a master council that's planning the genocide of this entire group. Like that's so that's fucked, fucked up. up. Oh my god! Hey, any anything that is not a right wing conspiracy theory is probably real. That's written off a consp- as a conspiracy theory, right? Like, yep. you know, don't listen to the flat earthers and the and the Alex Joneses and shit. But otherwise, it it's probably real. You just gotta dig up enough evidence. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like some of the stuff is like over. Over reaching sometimes, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you know, you can trust that there's a more basis in truth in the general state. Well, there's right. yeah, and there's also stuff that like there's spinoff conspiracy theories, but the truth is pretty close to one, right? It's like to say the U.S. is responsible for nine eleven is a factual statement. To say that that the the fights internally and the struggles between the CIA and the FBI is is suspicious and an ultimate failure and once again blames the US after building up Al Qaeda is correct. To say like George Bush say knew- Dick Cheney was in there with a fucking Atari fucking remote going Right, that's a little that's a little overboard, right? You know, yeah. So there's shit like that too. So He's just in the closet of the Pentagon on the other side of the plane crash conveniently. <laughs> That makes sense, actually. Yeah. He, w- he wouldn't be in the bunker with the president. No. Right. No. President. Fuck that guy. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so anyway, we are starting on page 18. Um, we are still in the official introduction of the book, and we're starting a section called The Red Deal. Some advocates of the Green New Deal oppose implementing a 70% propose tax hike propose. on the wealthiest Americans to pay for necessary changes. Oh, propose. God that dang does- it, I said oppose. That's completely different. <laughs> uh, yeah, very. Others argue that seizing the assets of fossil fuel companies and reallocating money and resources away from state institutions directly contributing to climate change and social inequality must also be part of the agenda. We agree on these proposals, but we understand more must be done. 
inspired by the appeals to divest from financial institutions funding oil pipeline during the Standing Rock Uprising and the movement for Black Lives Divest Invest strategy, the Red Deal also targets the institutions of the military, police, and prisons for divestment. Imagine divesting from the institutions and opening up $1 trillion to accomplish the task of saving this earth for everyone. And uh, and think about it. We're investing like basically zero dollars right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an enormous jump. <laughs> Just table all the other problems that solves. That's a fantastic jump in resources for something that needs resources. I forget where it was polled, but like climate change is something like the 19th biggest named number one fear for Americans is like what the fuck do you think is happening out there you know 19 it was I some existential dread every day I know I, I know I know 19 whoever I'm whoever like, the official enemy at the time is always ahead of climate change always somebody on twitter once said uh, why would you bring ki-? somebody once asked me why would you bring kids into this earth well simple I'm gonna go exploring radioactive pools of water with them yeah, you know stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Is that I hope that like me and my family can at least survive right. climate apocalypse. You know, right? Exactly. And again, I'm not sure exactly the number. I I, I kind of said 19 off my head, but it's ridiculously low in the list. And it's always behind whoever the official enemy is at the time. Anything it's always that's behind. One. I was about to say anything, anything all, that's like inflation. One. Like, yeah, that's insane. Not to be like, oh yeah, Anthropocene uh, climate change. Uh, uh, climate extinction is in my number one concern. Yeah, the fact that like every th- living the, thing on Earth is fucking dying. The extinction of the human race within your lifetime not a big deal. We got we got bigger uh, fish to fry. I don't know about the extinction of the human race, but extinction of human civilization. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be starting a new caveman style. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be like ah oh, yeah, I have microchip tape to spearhead. You know, like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even those survivalists, they run out of supplies one time, and they're they're fucked. You know, I mean, there's there's just there's you're gonna have to adapt to something that all of that all of that uh, degrowth you didn't want to do happening a hell of a lot more all at once while a lot of fucking people die. Like that's yeah. Start start food forests in your neighborhood. If you don't have a garden in your yard, start one. I'm serious. I wish I could. Like, that's as much prepper as I'll go into. Yeah. Because I think, like, you know, with that, you should learn how to can and stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that stuff's bad. I'm saying, like, you you don't just have a number of supplies. You have to replenish those. You need something sustainable. And that degrowth is going to happen because you won't have the options to buy. You won't be able to be a consumer anymore. Yeah. Well, and also you can't rely solely on a family unit or yourself because you're going to need a community. Yeah, yeah, those communal structures are going to happen one way or another. So the question is, is it on the brink of of human extinction for the last survivors with great suffering and death? Or is it just the better political structure set up now? And that depends on us accomplishing what we need as revolutionaries. I I think it's kind of both. I I think there's a dialectic here, obviously. Fair enough, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to argue against that. You use the magic word. I I get it. There's a contradiction. Oh, we just got to think about it. You know, you can hold two opposing truths at the same time. (laughs) But no, I mean, it's true. Like, you know, you need a communal aspect, but then individually you need to be bringing skills to the community. Mm -hmm. You can't expect to pick these things up post-climate apocalypse. Yeah, What that means for humanity, we don't know. 
this, but the world will significantly change. Yes, and I'm sorry, Nathan, about not getting ten pages when we didn't do current no, events because this is a I, big deal. I've, I've been on this, this train long enough. I know how this game goes. I I try not to be a big stickler about language because I'm I'm I I don't like the philosophies of constructionist of language blah, blah blah but like whatever is colloquial is important but there are plenty of times where like a thing has an expected definition in people's minds and then if you make up your own definition for it and then use it according to that definition people are listening to the definitions in their minds right we always hear this about terrorism um, there's there's people that try to 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 um, take you know imperialism and and reconstruct it um, so that it takes takes you know the, the actual imperialist countries kind of off as as the bad guys or suits a certain narrative there's certain times where people just take words and they go a different direction with them right and so something that i know i get it out there because it, it it's debatable if everybody passing around the same five dollars really is mutual aid or not but there are things there's there's charity as a complex bad there's charity like i give ten dollars to the person i see panhandling i give twenty dollars person i i see you know asking for for food or help with rent or something right that's not a bad thing but that is charity that coming from an org is aid and that as a community where everybody brings their skills to the table to help each other survive that's mutual aid and the only reason i care about the difference in that language is that it's not that the charity's bad. It's not that calling it mutual aid when everybody's sharing money hurts anyone. It's that then people never reach the definition of actual mutual aid, which you need to build skills for. I got for. a good example, actually. I was recently in this argument with an ANCAP mm-hmm. where they said that leftists were under... There was a meme yeah. where this person was like, oh, when somebody hands you you know, extra money and says pay for the person behind me's meal, yeah, but I just pocket it for a tip. Yeah. Some some ANCAP goes, oh, leftists undermining mutual aid like usual. <laughs> no, wait, that's that's mutual aid to you. Yeah. Who do you think who do you think needs that ten bucks more? The person who willingly went and spent money on fast food in the car that they own, or the fast food worker who's probably walking to work, riding a bike, or using public transportation. Right. That's working fast food. Right. Who do you think needs that money more? Right. I'm just, you know, use your brain. They're only getting fast food because they're stealing it or they're getting it for free, you know? Like, I, mutual aid is not just giving people money. That's, yeah. You know, it has to have a constructive purpose. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's where it I has say... to actually go somewhere. Yeah, and that's where I say... somewhere useful, perpetual. Yeah, and, and obviously, out of those three things, charity as an act is the least ideal. And we know that charity uh, as a complex is, is bad. What's that? <laughs> Whose charity is the act of the least ideal? Is well, compared problem? to aid or mutual aid, right? Because again, no, that's just well worded. It sounds like something like Lenin said or something. Oh like no, 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 no! That was just something I said. I didn't know I was. You know. But yeah, it's it's the least ideal of the Quote three. It. Somebody but, write that down. <laughs> but they're all three good things, so we shouldn't be ashamed of of doing charity or calling it charity, right? Like if I if I meet someone on the street and I don't have an org ready and I have money on me, I'm going to give them money. That's still charity. That's still a good thing, right? It's yeah. It's better than doing nothing, right? You know, and then, like you got to find these like dialectical positions. Mm-hmm. A, a of course is is better because then you have an org behind it and it's sustainable. And then so long as it's a situation that allows it or calls for it, mutual aid is the best because it's a community building roles and building a sustainable structure of supporting each other. So of course those are all good things, but you don't have to call them the wrong thing. And I only care because then people never get to the definition of mutual aid, which is a very important thing for people to understand, especially as civilizations break down from climate change. 
which is going to unfortunately happen and get worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping to see the leftist countries be beacons yes. in this time, because like Cuba already in the time of disaster mobilizes their communities. I will never forget it could Hurricane Katrina. People talk about Bush's presidency, and the thing they forget is Hurricane Katrina because Iraq was so bad and everything. So you know, but I don't, that's the thing I remember most. I feel is like Hurricane Katrina, and that's how I knew that Blackwater changed their name to what is now Academy. Now I guess there's also an extant Blackwater, but the original Blackwater oh, yeah. they changed their name from Academy. To, uh, <laughs> oh, did they change from Academy again? God damn it! Yeah, 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 because yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric Price owns them now. Oh, okay. <laughs> So they keep yeah, changing yeah, their goddamn but, name because everybody knows them and hates them. But first it was... Betsy DeVos, who yeah. was Trump's ec- education mm-hmm. secretary's brother, yeah. is the owner of Blackwater. Eric Prince. Yes. Eric Prince, yeah. Eric Prince yes. yes. Prince, not Price. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Eric, Eric Prince, yes, very much. Um, so it split, and it, it before it turned into Academy, which was its existence as like Google's little drone program assistant. That was the latest I heard from them. In between Blackwater, the war crime mercenaries in Iraq and that, they were G, which was, or Z. It was XE. And they were mercenaries that like hunted quote unquote looters during fucking Katrina. So Cuba was like, here, I'm going to send you a bunch of aid and actual doctors. And the United States went, no, we're going to hunt human beings with some mercenaries that we just had got done sending over from iraq you know that's just fuck right well everybody knows the best time to loot is when there's five feet of fucking right yeah that's when you really get i i am most motivated to do all of my fun and exciting looting Mm -hmm. when i uh might die in the process just for walking out my door yeah those tvs that are underwater can't wait to own them (laughs) mm-hmm Oh my god! Well, even yeah, then, too, nothing they'll, I like they'll always do the picture of like the TV, plasma. the TV, and it's like you know people got to keep up on fucking news, and their house just got destroyed, and the the store gets to replace that with insurance. Why the fuck do you care anyway, right? Um, it's it's always the gruel argument, it's the though. Principle. Yeah, it's it's always the gruel argument, though, right? It's it's if if you're suffering. Um, or if you're not suffering enough, then then you don't deserve the charity, right? If you're not if you're not eating gruel, how could you deserve anything nice? How do you have a cell phone? You're not poor enough to to you know not deserve to be homeless, right? I mean, it's it's so fucked up. Um, but it's always bullshit, and that's that was what was behind the anti looting shit, and and will be as natural disasters increase thanks to climate change. Uh, in 2018, Winona Laduke pushed for an indigenous-led Green New Deal. Winona, by the way, not Winona. Oh, Winona, I'm sorry. Um, Winona LaDuke uh, pushed for an indigenous-led Green New Deal. The former Green Party vice presidential candidate inspired us to think about how divesting from fossil fuel infrastructure, such as billion-dollar oil pipelines, could be reinvested into building wind and solar farms and sustainable agriculture and reservations. Indeed, the most radical appraisals of the Green New Deal come from indigenous people. According to the Indigenous Environmental Network, IEN, the Green New Deal, as is, will leave incentives by industries and governments to continue causing harms to indigenous communities. Before endorsing the Green New Deal, IEN called for a clear commitment to keep fossil fuels in the ground, reject carbon pricing schemes, um, strengthen language on indigenous people and uphold indigenous rights and stop, not prolong, our current exploitative and abusive economic and political systems. 
that that was probably the line that was too radical and scary for them. Um, well, and so like one of the important things to point out is that how hydroelectric is one of is a very efficient form of green energy. But as we saw in our last few asides, mm-hmm. you, it leads to yeah untold destruction. Where you know people who are very traditional, like my family, you know they might they might even lose like uh, knowledge of certain. Um, foods just free in the Black Hills, you know, that used to be commonplace knowledge like mouse beans or even uh, Lakota turnips. Yeah. Um, a complete moratorium on all new fossil fuel extraction, a long-standing demand by indigenous environmental organizations to keep it in the ground would cause a ruling class rebellion. Warming temperatures demonstrate how deeply entrenched CO2 emissions are within class society. Framing this as a pan-human problem or a problem of the species, such as the term the Anthropocene, the geological age of the fossil fuel company, misses the point. A select few are hoarding the life rafts while also shooting holes in a sinking ship. Class hatred is warranted. The immiseration of billions sustains the gilded lives for the few. The upper one-tenth of humanity is responsible for half of the carbon emissions from consumption. Half of humanity only accounts for one-tenth of emissions. The richest 1% similarly emit 175 times more CO2s than the poorest Hondurans, Mozambicans, Rwandans, or or Rwandans, sorry, the sentence ends. Uh, And that's, again, you know, what was it, Taylor Swift just flies a private jet every fucking where type shit. I believe that's one of the... Oh, Jenner. it was Jenner. It was Kylie Jenner, Jenner yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Kylie Jenner uh, taking three... Yeah, I mean, you know, jet. meanwhile, like, the rest of us are like, fuck, I, I feel bad for driving to work, you know? Yeah. 26 billionaires hoard half the world's social... Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, 26 billionaires hold half of the world's social wealth, and the world's 2,153 billionaires produce more social wealth than the 4.6 billion people who make up 60% of the planet's population. Numbers that appear to get more extreme as CO2 concentrations rise. We have to draw lines of separations between us and them, because they have already done so. A hundred companies responsible for 70% of global emissions, those relentlessly searching for new hydrocarbon frontiers, market-driven fixes that won't cost as much, or green energy booms, aren't going to put themselves out of business. Nor will the ruling elite put their own system up for debate. And that is damn good, and that is damn clear, and that is that is damn materialist. We, we like that kind of shit here. Um, <laughs> that is, in fact, um, our shit. What was shit. I going to say about that? Uh, yes, that that's, that's that's well, it's it's very much the other side of collaboration. It's, it's the the um, um, red nations shit, very literally. But me and Nathan are totally Quite on board. <laughs> we we enjoy it. We're we're fans. We're fanboys now. Um, yeah. But what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, it's. It's important. Christina Aguilera's uh, song. Ooh, that's the shit. Banana, the shit is banana. I don't remember. Oh, that's Gwen Stefani. That's, that's a Gwen Stefani Gwen song. Stefani. Yeah, that's okay, a Gwen. Whatever. One of them. Uh, of course, the two white boys. <laughs> two white boys immediately jumped in and knew who the fuck Gwen Stefani was. We had that one on lock. Right. We were like, wait, that's Gwen Stefani. Like, <laughs> our whiteness just beams through like the sun. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, what I was going to say is rich people always, you know, protect themselves from consequences. And you see this, and, and I really like the point that it points out as CO2 emissions go up, differences in inequality get worse because every bad thing hits us and you think, oh, good, this is something so universal, it hits rich people too, right? We see this with market crashes. We see this with all kinds of shit where it's like, oh, you know, economic downturn, climate downturn, something is finally hitting their pocketbooks, right? But they've got the system rigged where that just makes them more wealthy because it beats us down farther and then there's a bigger gap and they feed off that gap because that gap is really where their power is. How rich they are is as important as how poor you are, right? Um, Both of those things matter a lot because it's a comparative scale because they need an underclass to build them up. You can't have a serving class. You can't have a subservient set of people unless they are poorer than you. And that's what's important to them. So all these bad things happen, they get hit the least. Good things happen, they gain the most. And so that gap is always growing. And it seems to actually grow the most while bad things are happening. Um, so that's a really, really good observation. I believe that's a direct... I believe that is a direct a direct analysis from from Daddy Marks. Uh, didn't wasn't it the the two poles the the immiseration yeah. and the enrichment and and ex or and and glory for mm-hmm. the one group on one end and the immiseration and poverty and despair for the group. on Yeah, the other yeah, end. that that is and actually um, Marx was talking about it in the sense of centralization and handling market crashes. But we can see and then, here, and then it expands it into the terms of imperialism. Mm-hmm. It's expanded into. And here it's expanded into exportation. Right. And here it's expanded into to the world left behind, which is, is not the first time that's that's been explored, right? I mean, we've heard terms like concrete jungle because we're very familiar with environmental racism. Um, you know, so this is is expounding that and building that all together. And so that, that again, there's a reason that like I was like, oh, after that that paragraph, it's a really, really ripe and 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 well underscored um fact there and 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 just you know keep that keep your little bookmark in there keep that pin in that <laughs> because that that's going to underscore a lot of 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 what i remember reading at least from the the red new deal um because that's that's the important materialist analysis um the recent flurry of anti-protest laws from state to state suggests the ruling class is already rebelling this is familiar Indigenous peoples pose a radical threat and pay a disproportionate price to the fossil fuel industry at the site of extraction and transportation, yet their demands are marginalized within mainstream environmentalism, a trend that has crept into the growing climate justice movement. It makes sense to expect an indigenous plan for movement building like the Red Deal that explicitly names climate change as its impetus to advance for, to advocate for an environmental justice framework, and in many ways we do. We certainly draw from, study, and participate in the pantheon of fierce indigenous environmental justice efforts that have carried the movement for indigenous liberation forward throughout the, these long years of struggle. However, we find that much so of what I'd gets like framed this, through oh. an environmental... Oh, yeah, no, go Is ahead. Do you mind to hear something? So I, I was going to say that, you know, that, that trend that, you know, we're speaking about is one that's best seen during the people versus fossil fuels protests. Um, where well-meaning radical liberals, rad libs, liberals, whatever you want to call them, uh, such as Extinction Rebellion, who drew crowds from... um, I mean, they drew a lot of people over to the Department of Treasury, um, but pulled them away from 
Um, the march that was planned and organized, they drew them away from the seminar that pre, uh, that, uh, what's the term? Proceeded. I don't, I don't know why I couldn't think of that, but preceded the march. Don't worry, I've been and there forgetting words, you're good. Then during the march, a bunch of indigenous people went over to the BIA to try to occupy it, which was stopped within like... 45 minutes or so because at the same time they started that Extinction Rebellion decided they were going to go throw a tantrum on top of the Department of Treasury not realizing where a lot of this shit begins you know like if, if you're trying to you know nip this at the bud stop the BIA from selling our fucking land off you know that's a great start like oh 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 where where are they getting all this like why do they keep figuring out that they're gonna put the the pipelines the bi fucking a the goddamn bia and the department of interior is controlled by an indigenous person right now but that's not going to actually solve the fucking issues and this is the perfect example of why decolonization does not mean an indian in charge of the department of goddamn interior or a goddamn president it's not going to be enough Obama didn't get black liberation to the fucking black community. Uh, Leonard Peltier, as president, wouldn't give us fucking liberation, even if PSL was in charge. Why waste our time on presidential elections? It's it's the same kind of empty identity politics that we've railed against for for a long time on this show. That there is there, it's that that concept of just just token recognition as some sort of standard for. For what counts? What counts as, as as actual inclusivity or diversity of any kind? Yeah, I mean that's like recognition. And oh. well, as, so I was just going to say, as somebody who's a genocide of people whose population is practically nothing now, you know, I do appreciate representation and you know bringing us to the forefront of people's knowledge. But the problem is, is the way liberals go about it. You know, it becomes a spray painting of land back in reservation dogs. It becomes Taika Waititi directing an episode of Star Wars is the epitome of decolonization Mm -hmm. in the liberal media. You know, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, And that's, and again, that, I mean, very specifically, it's why we said empty um, identity politics. We are not, we we fully support identity politics and we hate when people use it as a buzzword um, for their own bigotries, but there is an empty identity politics has been liberalized and you also run into liberalized intersectionality as a concept too, where like, you know, intersectionality is an understanding that all of the struggles are tied together. So if you belong to one struggle, you belong to all. And that's a call for solidarity um, as I, I'm sure other people have used it for years, but I, I always think of Leslie Feinberg when, when she'd um, say it in, in different like college speaking she'd go to where she said, you know, solidarity is a harm to one is a harm to all and a gain for one is a gain to all. Right. Um, and that's the idea of intersectionality. And then you see it usually used as like, uh, I have three intersectional uh, points. <laughs> so I win in the, the most oppressed. And it's like, that's not how that fucking works. Right. And and the problem breaking all of those is is the liberalism, you know, and and so, yeah, I mean, liberalism can fuck up a lot of good ideological concepts and we have to reject those empty, soulless substitutes for these concepts themselves. Uh, Absolutely. 
However, we find that much of what gets framed through an environmental lens, including the efforts to stop pipelines in Wet Suetten and Standing Rock, often misses the point about capitalism and sometimes about indigenous sovereignty, too. Conservation and related notions of protection, preservation, and defense, all popular terms in indigenous land-based movements, like efforts to protect the sacred, continue to dominate the framing of indigenous liberation struggles as efforts for environmental justice. The notion of protecting land and water requires an understanding of what we are protecting it from. In mainstream mainstream conservation discourse, the thing environmental advocates protect the land and water from is typically capitalist development, which includes infrastructure to expand extractive industries or real estate ventures that include the construction of massive suburbs or housing projects. While the focus is rightly placed on that, which we are protecting and defending, what if the question all water protectors and land defenders asked was, why don't we just overturn the system that makes development a threat in the first place? This system, again, is capitalism. Rather than taking an explicitly conservationist approach, the Red Deal instead proposes a comprehensive, full-scale assault on capitalism, using indigenous knowledge and tried-and-true methods of mass mobilization as its ammunition. In this way, it addresses what are commonly thought of as single issue, single issues like the protection of sacred sites, which often manifest in specific uprisings or insurrections as structural in nature, which therefore requires a structural, i.e. non-reformist reform, response that has the abolition of capitalism via revolution as its central goal. And so... I, I think right there is so a lot of people who hear non-reformist reform and goes, that's an easy cop-out so you could say reform without making it be reformist. That's what we're getting at. It's structural change by a different name, but we have to lead like liberal readers to that point, otherwise they immediately fucking dismiss us. And if you're fucking immediately dismissing us as a Marxist because you didn't want to fucking read ahead, um, maybe you should rethink your liberalisms and self-critique right now. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> one of the fucking uh, 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 criticisms I got about the Red Deal uh, from like people you know I trust their opinions of was that I was like, and I was like, did you did you read past that? And I'm gonna be honest, I I stopped reading uh, once I got to that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I bet you fucking did. Yeah. You know, you know, it's easy to call out when people haven't done the reading. So just do the fucking reading. We. This entire program and the whole reason I'm a part of it right now is because I understand that they do make the reading accessible, mm-hmm. you know. And so the other common framing we see, you know, by would-be allies, what like especially during COVID, was that humanity was the virus, right? And and that Earth is cleansing itself, right? So like you know, water became clearer and stuff in cities, and it's like, well, maybe you guys just should like. Take a moment and self-reflect about well, your own consumer. You, you know, yeah, man, there's, like I get being poor. There's two like, easy easy answers to that that I can't believe they, they even failed if they said humanity was the problem. The first one is that humans didn't drop off the face of the earth at the beginning of COVID. Capitalism stopped. Like, that's, that, that's it. Done. Serious. And second is that, like, even through all that, I think there was only, like, a 10% uh, – you know, slow down in carbon reduction emissions because military exercises were still happening. Planes were still flying because it's cheaper to, cheaper to keep all the flights up. Yachts were still happening, even though that was like basically the insta COVID outbreak. It's not cheaper. 
It's that they continue to get their money okay. to meet certain It's more mileage. profitable. That's more profitable. that's the important one. Yes, sorry. It's more profitable to keep the planes flying everywhere. And so through all that, there was an emissions reduction, but it was only like 10% when like the average person's yeah. emissions use plummeted. When the cars well, all plummeted. All I'm saying is that's proof in point that mm-hmm. no matter how much we all reduce our personal mm-hmm. f- uh, footprints, you know, that's just a distraction from the fact that most of it's coming from a hundred companies. Yeah, yeah. That have exactly. names, addresses, CEOs, and uh, boards of directors that we can go and protest, uh, piss off, and get arrested, uh, you know, actually making a difference. Yeah, I, well, I mean, COVID's such a case study for that, because we just talked about the emissions portion of that, right? So obviously all of that didn't really reduce emissions, and again, profit is at the heart, but also all of the opening back up we have done since then. The company's pushed, and it's putting human life second and profit first. I mean, COVID is the well, ultimate case study at that. It's right there in front of people's faces. But like this, you know, like too many people focus on right now, this is a common trend amongst settler society, and this lie really uh, uh, find you know, or this misconception finds its roots in the same ideology that informs the base of the conservationist movement, uh, which one of the most famous supporters of that movement was Teddy Roosevelt, um, who who used national parks as a way to steal indigenous lands and whom patriotic socialists will claim figures like him and Lincoln and FDR uh, are, 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 you know, examples of the American spirit and how good and redeeming this country can be. Uh, Wait. And they just ignore that their faces are on Mount Rushmore, which was built by a KKK member whose name is John Goodson. I don't know how to fucking say that. But also known for Stone Mountain in Atlanta. Uh, and, and these men are most famous to indigenous nations for Indian killing, you know, while, while pretending to be uh, frontiersmen, T.R. posed with Indian scalps and stole and coerced children from nations for the Spanish-American War. Uh, Lincoln, although reluctantly freeing slaves, hung 38 Dakota for daring to resist the colonization and conquest of their people. Uh, if, if you don't know that story, uh, they were being starved. And when saying, hey, we have a treaty that says you're supposed to fucking feed us, the guy said, let them eat dirt. So we fucking killed him and put dirt in his goddamn mouth. So then we, 38 of us got hung. Worth it. Um, but the North and South killed Indians to uh, bond after the Civil War. Like all the U.S. presidents, these mm-hmm. men are a disgrace. Oh yeah. There is not a single redeeming president. There is not a single redeeming fucking aspect about American culture besides the notions of democracy they stole from the Iroquois nation. Mm-hmm. Even like a lot of the the people that get celebrated as union generals and stuff. Though that wasn't the only fight they were in. They were in a lot of anti-indigenous and westward expansion battles. That was the that and Chigmani too hit it right on the head. I was reading it in a. Uh, uh, the the work on the St. Louis Commune that one of these days I will shoehorn into this podcast one way or another. Oh, I but, would uh, actually really love a series on that. That would be. Awesome. I want. I, I want to do it. About it. I want to do it so bad, but it's since it's a contemporary you do book, a, re, a solo, a solo. Yeah, fuck it, fuck it. What's going to happen? The world's ending. Fuck it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, 
oh, you're gonna get a lawsuit. Fuck them. I don't care. No, it's a, and it's a, it's an amazing book. I can't. Yeah, uh, communism in the heartland. Uh, St. Louis Commune of 1871. Yeah. So, so yeah, just to finish that thought, the, uh, the the thing about the thing that that book brought up very clearly was exactly what Shugmani Two was was saying directly. The the westward expansion, the the soldiers from the north and south, they became brothers in arms, and they explicitly bonded over the idea of settling the western frontier and putting down uh, indigenous people left, right, and center. That was a huge bringing back together of the military. They bonded over that shared, just viral racism. Um, and so it's baked into the core. It's all the all the myths, and especially I cannot believe the past. No one should be defending our Yosemite Samist presidents. Like that's yeah. not a thing that we should be. Really oh into. no! I wish I I wanted to pick Teddy Roosevelt as Yosemite Sam on like Mount Rushmore. Now, just I just imagine like all those back piece. off. I just imagine all those back off bumper stickers where Yosemite Sam's rooting and tooting at you on a on a semi on the highway. Uh, I just imagine FDR's face That's right in Teddy. there, and it doesn't change <laughs> doesn't change the image at all. No, honestly, it's pretty much the exact same personality. Yeah, like I'm I'm honestly surprised he didn't end up like naming one of his kids Yosemite. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right, so. Um, we must be straightforward about what is necessary. If we want to survive, there are no incremental or non-disruptive ways to reduce admissions. Again, if we want to survive, there are no incremental or non-disruptive ways to reduce Seriously, admissions. I cannot stress this enough. I understand what adventurism is. Be careful. But holy fucking shit. This is do or die, and people need to stop holding fucking signs on street corners and voting with their dollars and put their bodies on the front fucking lines like indigenous people have been doing since the goddamn 1920s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Reconciliation with the ruling classes is out of the question. Market-based solutions must be abandoned. We have until 2050 to reach net zero carbon emissions. That's it. 30 years. The struggle for a carbon-free future can either lead to a revolutionary transformation or much worse than what Marx and Engels imagined in 1848 when they forewarned that the common ruin of the contending classes was a likely scenario if the capitalist class was not overthrown. It's also common to say that you know Marx was wrong about world revolution starting in the most advanced capitalist state because you know people say that world revolution started in russia Mm -hmm. but i'd argue that the russian revolution has fucking ended in 1992 93 whatever fucking putin's goddamn in charge yeah all right we are not anywhere close to world revolution yet so if i'm hoping to god marx and engels are correct about world revolution starting in the most advanced capitalist state because that means it's going to start in the United States and I bet you it starts as soon as white people start fucking listening to indigenous and black fucking comrades. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the common ruin of entire peoples, species, landscapes, grasslands, waterways, oceans, and forests, which has been well underway for centuries, has intensified more in the last three decades than in all of human existence. 
Austerities and forced scarcity, the neoliberal policy of the last 40 years has been tax strike of the super wealthy who have refused to pay their share of taxes and have locked away the world's wealth in tax havens and offshore accounts. These are resources that should go towards providing services, education, housing, health care, public transportation, infrastructure, and environmental restoration to those who actually produce the wealth, the indigenous, black, migrants, women, and children who are the workers of the world. This strike is worth crushing quickly and with prejudice. Direct action alone won't reallocate wealth if it is not backed by popular mass movements and enforced by state apparatuses wrested away from the elite and powerful. Prison abolition and an end to border imperialism are key aspects of the Red Deal for good reason. The Green New Deal calls for the creation of millions of green jobs as well as a policy of just transition for the poor and working class families and communities that currently depend on resource extraction for basic income and needs and which will suffer greatly when the extractive industry is shut down. In the United States today, however, about 70 million people, nearly one third of adults, have some kind of criminal conviction, whether or not they've served time. That prevents them from holding certain kinds of jobs. If we add this number to the people, approximately 8 million undocumented immigrants, the sum of about half the U.S. workforce, two-thirds of whom are not white, half of the workforce faces employment discrimination because of mass criminalization and incarceration. Half of the goddamn workforce. Even then, you know, like, poor white people, all the fucking time, are discriminated again. But, you know, people need to fucking have a fucking clue about, you know, the prison system, the carceral question, mm-hmm. because it becomes such a, you know, important thing. People don't realize how many facets these tentacles reach into. Like um, tilapia, the fish. Yeah. How many of you have a, both of you have eaten tilapia? Yeah. You know somebody who has eaten tilapia as part of a diet craze, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah, one or two. You know, usually yeah. somebody knows a pescatarian or something. The reason tilapia was so popular is because it is a prison-produced fish. It is meant to undercut the white fish market, which destroys indigenous co- economies, mind you, um, in order to cheapen the price of white fish. So that way we have an alternative to red meat. You know, as that becomes more important, but. At the same time, you're destroying environments that these eggs get into the supply. These fish are invasive as fuck. China will not let you use these fish in aquaponic systems because of how dangerous they are. Crawfish are similar. You know, like if your environment isn't already natural Mm -hmm. to these fish or crawfish and stuff like that, you need to be aware of that because as you're seeking to... um, Free yourself from the bonds of, you know, the you know, current paradigm of, uh, uh, you know, distribution. Yeah. You know, under capitalism, you know, you have to seek out foods and foodstuffs that is um, compliant or you know, bad, good for your environment. Yeah. Rather than anything you just want, because that's the problem with settlers is they'll import whatever the fuck they want. It'll use up so much water. Waste so much fucking water, it won't soak up enough, it'll cause a bunch of flooding. Who fucking knows? Who goddamn knows? All I know is if you fucking stop taking out the indigenous plant life, things would work in the cycle it was literally evolved to do. Mm -hmm. It was built to do. 
you know, whether we had a hand directly as indigenous people or not, doesn't matter. That is what it is made to do. And the less we interrupt that, the better. Yeah. I mean, that is just simple science, I would think. Absolutely. Um, could not agree more. And then we're going to move on to the last chapter in the section. Uh, I think is probably what we're going to do today is the terrorization of black, indigenous, brown, migrant, and poor communities by border enforcement agencies and the police drives down wages and disciplines poor people, whether or not they are working, by keeping them in a state of perpetual uncertainty and precarity. As extreme weather and imperialist interventions continue to fuel migration, especially from Central America, the policies of punishment such as walls, detention camps, increased border security continue to feed capital with cheap throwaway lives. The question of citizenship, colonizing settler nations have no right to say who does and doesn't belong, is something that will have to be thoroughly challenged as a legal privilege to life chances. Equitable access to employment and social care must break down imperial borders, not reproduce them. We address this more in depth in part two. And these communities really find common struggle and solidarity that through a well-formulated platform uh, can articulate a unity amongst the working class that can build people's power and hopefully help the humble peoples of the world organize, unionize, unite, and become a community or, you know, a, a movement that we can rely on for the caretaking of all. One of the most important things we can do right now is protect our communities from the rise of emboldened fascism. We, I would say, you know, community defense, you know, just, even helping people get food, you know. Like I said, grow food in your yard encourage your neighbors to and then you can trade that food amongst each other because you will have an abundance you know you're never going to be able to use all those tomatoes that you grow in one season mm -hmm. you know I, I would say that fascism is just Europeans imposing several relations on their own underclass but the problem is is as you know immigrant black and indigenous people we, we become part of their underclass through colonization. That's the goal is an assimilation into the society that ultimately is just fodder for capitalism. You know, that's their goal is they want to bring us into the reserve labor army. They want to bring us in and um, you know, treat us as they do their own workers, which as th the workers can tell you, <laughs> isn't good. You know, and the way they treat us is worse than those workers. So it'd be like, oh, it's it's like the Divine Deloria, uh, you know, line where it's like, oh, it, they brought us from, you know, deprivation to mere poverty. Yeah. You know, oh, now we'll go from mere poverty to being treated somewhat humanely, you know, like. Right. M mere poverty to like service industry level. Ooh, I can work at Starbucks now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, and also um, something else there, too, because this was talking about the border. Um, I, I don't know how many times we have to touch into the show that Biden and Trump are no different. Like, when we say there's no difference in parties, we're not delusional to think there's no difference. We just think, like, if you have 99% the same and everybody thinks that 1% difference is, like, 100% difference, you need to remind people of the 99% all the goddamn time. And... Biden is such a caricature of it. Not only to continue all of Trump's policies to a T, where like that that even one percent just hasn't been there. This presidency, um, he finished the fucking wall. 
right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and he's, God. I mean, this is a wall that's been like killing hundred-year-old cacti. Um, this is a wall that, I mean, it's it's gone through, um, who is... Several indigenous sites. Several indigenous sites and, and, and it, nations. Wrapped this wall, no, this wall isn't a straight wall. This wall doesn't only go around the U.S.-Mexico border. This wall goes around the entire Tohono O'odham Reservation, any reservation along not only the southern border. Nobody's talking about how they want to install these... Because fu- the wall... The wall's going to be invisible, like Trump said. Mm-hmm. The wall is these 300 fucking foot towers that track in a 200 mile radius your footsteps, your heat signature, uh, fucking 15 feet underground, your cell phones, your internet usage. You know, everything. It tracks all of you. Mm-hmm. Okay? It tracks you. Okay? And if you're within 200 miles of the goddamn border, it is tracking you. And fucking putting all your information into the NSA, but they've put these towers all the way around the Tohono O'odham Reservation. So you, you not only have it along the border, you now have it reaching in all the way around reservation lands. So once they decide the Navajo are working with the Mech, you know, working with like any immigrants sneaking into the country, you know, fucking, you're, you're going to have them putting these towers around them. And then it's going to be towers around every reservation in order to track us because we're going to be deemed such a threat. Well, it's going to be fucking awesome. That that brings up because you're talking about the 200 miles as well. That brings up something that um, so people realize, like you know, the the one trendy, the one police that that a larger liberal group seems to be on board with abolishing um, because they all should be abolished. And and ICE is pretty flagrant about it as ICE, right? Um, of course, you know the Democrats will never actually push for anything with that, um, but <laughs> but is abolish ICE because ICE is is just so obviously horrendous, right? They're the fucking Gestapo throwing people in concentration camps. Well, ICE is one limitation supposedly, not that cops ever listen to the rules or tell the truth, is being two hundred miles from any border. Except that they just changed the rules for that to include international airports, which are peppered across the fucking country. So, like, me and Nathan, again, are in Missouri. Me and Nathan are in, like, an ICE-available district because just the fucking absurd stretches from international airports, they're just everywhere. They're just everywhere. And they're not going to, like, go, oh, my God, we're at mile 199. We better stop throwing people in concentration camps here. They're going to go well beyond it. Right. Well, they're going to expand it too, they, as well. Yeah, they're going to expand know, like, it, but those those limitations are only in case someone challenges them. And honestly, again, because international airports are in large urban areas, that means that you know it's like seventy percent of the landmass that's covered, but it's like ninety percent of the population. You know, yeah. so I mean, ICE is fucking everywhere. It's just it, it's just everywhere. And this border wall is an extension of that. And so for everybody's like, oh, it's like a Black Mirror episode. Everything's dystopian. You know, we've already said before that there's more CCTV cameras in the United States uh, than there are per, per capita than there are in China. Right. Um, also, that that before you get even into ring, which who, by the way, just, you know, turn stuff over all the time. Um, to you know the NSA and the FBI and whoever wants, um, but on top of that, now is exploiting it for a television show without really people's permission. 
which is fucked oh, up, and it's hosted gross. by. And for people who don't know that that uh, Wanda Sykes is a longtime NSA asset, at least if not a CIA asset, but she's admittedly an NSA asset. It's hosted by Wanda Sykes. This is, of course, after it's bought out by explicit CIA asset and already owned by a rich guy with interest in this shit anyway, richest guy in the world, Jeff Bezos. So, like, if you ignore all that shit and just go, oh, only officially state stuff, we're already the most monitored. And then you add this fucking Black Mirror episode type of a fucking border wall that Biden just finished, right? And then you add the corporate bullshit and the ruling class this country actually serves and how integrated that is with the intelligence. This is where we talked about, like, every conspiracy theory you've ever heard that's not right wing probably is actually true, even if some of them also have a false version, right? So... Like, you know, if I was like, oh, you know, Wanda Sykes is like secretly second in charge of the CIA and they set this up to be cops too, you know, whatever, that's a little much. But like intelligence is connected uh, in every angle on this and we're just displaying people's lives for look. And we know, we know displaying people's lives, editing them out to be the bad guy or stupid or deserving of things, doing it without their permission and, and having the editor have freelance. We know from cops that ultimate copaganda that has existed for decades, right? That makes everyone look bad. And who are the people that are going to look bad? Well, the same kind of people who were accused of, of every sort of property crime against rich property people, just like it was in cops. And service workers who are dropping off your packages are going to be by them. So basically, this is like this is like cops too with deep NSA ties that's out to make any kind of property crime, any kind of random person taking drugs, any kind of service worker that can be caught on ring out to, to like an existential threat to society as a wholesome daytime primetime entertainment funniest videos thing. So fuck that shit. And that's, of course, again, on... Wait. Does their PR team at all like talk about how like rings ai would alert any black per- like when like they have an alert system when a suspicious person is in your neighborhood right oh god any time a black person was in your neighborhood it's alerting everyone's rings were going on oh, during beta tests jesus Jesus, oh. and that's before the Amazon buyout and and the no, no, NSA no, no, ties. No, no, no. no oh, no, that's no. after it. That's after oh, Amazon nice. already owned it. Nice. I was listening to a citations needed back, like when I started the Bands of Turtle Island <sighs> podcast. Is back when this was going on. Yeah. So I, I don't know how oh my if they've God. ever fixed out that kink. You know, <laughs> but that's a pretty big. I got kink. a feeling they did. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I- yeah, I have a feeling they they just well, found a way around having whistleblowers pointed out. You know that that's usually how that happens. Yeah. Yep. Well, so. all of I'm that being said, conversation oh. even after going pee. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us. First of which is through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Next way you can reach out is on Twitter. We're at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. And if you want to join our Discord server, the link is in our Twitter bio. And that's where we spend more of our day-to-day and have conversations with people and just chill with comrades. It's a good time. It's a good place. And I'm I'm a fan of it. Uh, Shugmani 2. Plugs? Uh, of course, the you can follow the Red Nation at, at the underscore Red Nation underscore... 
at the underscore red underscore red nation on Twitter. Um, and then it's like the Red Nation movement on Instagram. And I don't think... Well, maybe the Red Nation on Facebook exists too. I don't know. Uh, but for me, you can follow me at Bands Island. Um, that's my personal Twitter as well as the podcast Twitter for Bands of Turtle Island. Um, you can contact me at uh, Bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com uh, if you really want. Or, you know, I'm at the Mark's Madness Discord. Um, uh, I'm also... I have a Patreon that you should go and support. Um, your mon- money, you know, keeps my phone bill going, my internet bill going, um, feeds my family, puts diapers on my kid, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, it funds a lot of different things I was able to, you know, uh, afford, um, well, not through just Patreon money, but you can also donate to, uh, Zakata's Tin Can with a cash sign at the beginning on Cash App, and, um, all of that money goes towards building um, my garden that's going to be feeding my community. I already have uh, two neighbors right next door to me, basically, that we've already began trading various things we're growing. Um, So we basically have the start of a permaculture food forest. All of us are into permaculture and stuff like that, as well as foraging. Um, It's also going to go towards... uh, helping my family on Pine Ridge, everything I get a portion of goes back to my family on Pine Ridge or in Colorado. Um, so it's, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if people realize that a lot of, like, migrant workers and Indian families who are usually migrant workers, like, a lot of their money goes back to their families where they're from. Um, support them. And that's sort of what happens here, as well as I have my own family to support. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little better off as far as charity is concerned, than most people. So that's why I also say, if you're giving money to me, uh, one of the big things I've been advocating for and really want to see reach their goal is um, the Rec Bay Water Relief Fund on GoFundMe, um, which is a community in Australia whose uh, main water source, which is the river, uh, has been uh, poisoned by PFAS chemicals. Um, two years ago, when I first started speaking about this community, um, Rain had it been all poisoned by PFAS chemicals. But now everybody on fucking earth who gets rained on gets PFAS chemicals on them. So let's help them overcome an even larger source of that. Because they're never going to be able to overcome it now. So I don't know. At this point, I feel kind of defeated. You know, like, I tried my fucking hardest, and now things have gotten so bad that everybody is being poisoned by PFAS chemicals. So, I I, I don't know at this point. So, but yeah, uh, those are pretty much the end of my plugs. Um, help somebody out, please. Indigenous people don't get a whole lot of help, so unless you help us, who's going to help us? You know, the reason why Indian Collective took a bunch of... Amazon money is because not enough people donated to them. So donate to indigenous causes so less people sell out to fucking Jeff Bezos, please. For the love of God. Amen. And David, it is time for a disclaimer. 
Yeah, so um, for the Mark's Madness side of this collaboration, uh, the way this kind of started is Nathan came up to me. He wanted to read Capital. You want two people reading any kind of theory or history, and it was also something I'd read before, so that, that gave me a little extra oomph. So we said, sure, fine, we'll read it. Um, there was only two of us, though, so we knew how to record a podcast. We just recorded just to see what happens, and then we threw it out as a podcast. And lo and behold, here you guys all are. And uh, since the beginning, what we've always wanted is... We want you out there. We want you in your party, your cadre, your local organization. Uh, we want you doing the work on the ground and in whatever political education or reading group they have. <laughs> we hope you're reading these groups, uh, reading these books along with us, and we hope it can be another source of um, you know context, another source of input and perspective, um, another chance to review over the work, everything you get from those reading groups. Um, let's say that's not happening and they're reading something shorter, something more focused on a project they're on, and you're reading these books on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that review, that context, all those benefits of the reading group with this. And let's say that's not happening and it's either a book we summarize more, uh, like we did a little bit in our aside <laughs> for this book on Pixlone, um, or a book that you know we read word for word like The Red Deal here. Whatever it is we can do to make these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions. When you turn theory into revolutionary action, whether that is mutual aid or aid or um, political education or you know defense groups, uh, whatever it is, um, that is a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, by definition, can't exist without theory, and theory is completely useless without that praxis. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. Shigmani 2. Shigmani 2. Sorry, I just saw that I blew somebody off that I was supposed to talk to today. Oh, no. Sorry. I know you're listening, so I'm really sorry. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just know that this was that day. Yep. Um, no, but uh, I'm Shimani. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.